0: are not our ways, his thoughts are not our thoughts, so when we follow him and he leads us, it's just, we don't know what to expect, you know, things don't always go our way, and I'm, I'm okay with that. <laughs> uh, I experienced that this year, for sure, coming on staff at the bridge, and um, just had so much joy and so much peace being here, and so much has happened here just in a year, I mean, Ministries are thriving, and new ministries are popping up. We got young adults and young marrieds, and youth group is is going off like crazy. We got so many kids coming now, and uh, just the staff all year, all year long, every week we've been saying something like, "Oh man, God's really working in this person," and God's really doing something in this church every every single week. So it's been just super encouraging. And uh, I was working on this message, I was thinking, you know how. What does the Lord want to say to the bridge as we kind of close out this year and look into the new year? And what does he have in store for us? <clears throat> and what's what's like a theme we can have coming up for this, this next year? Um, but I thought, why not teach on a passage that totally changed my whole perspective on the way I see God, the way I, I see my own life, my own Christian life, and um, the way I'm able to read the Bible? Um, and maybe that we as a church can have this new perspective too as we go into this new year. Uh, this morning, I, I wanna do something a little different. We're just gonna go through a whole passage and we'll break it down and we'll get into it and dive in. Uh, but it's a passage that has literally changed my life in, in a lot of different ways. Um, I went to Bible college for two years and i spent hundreds of hours in classes, but this, this really impacted me, not in the classroom, but in the dorm room where some of our I think that's kind of how they designed it, <laughs> was uh, for these, these guys to get together and, and really study the word and, and apply it. And uh, this really had an impact on me. And uh, so I began, this, was, this came as an impact in my, in my life when there was a time where I was asking a lot of questions about God because I'd, I'd been learning so much. And questions about how God works and why he does the things the way he does them and why my life is in the place that it's in. And uh, Questions I didn't really have the answers to uh, until I was studying with my friends and in our dorm one night, just going through Isaiah 55. And it answered most of the questions I had about God uh, and about my own life at the time, and hopefully this morning we'll, we'll be able to reflect and respond the same way. I mean, maybe you've come this morning, you have a lot of questions about God, like, why would he allow this to happen? Why would he allow this evil? Why would he allow this to happen in my life? Uh, why would he allow that person to be president? Uh, we, think, we think we know so much, and we think we really, I've, I've learned that the more I learn about God, the less I know, and just more realizing how much I need to trust in him, and in his ways, and in, in his thoughts. And maybe this morning you came here, and, and you just need a, a fresh perspective on God, and and uh, how, to, how to look at these scriptures. And this passage in Isaiah 55 is really, uh, in my Bible anyway, it's pretty much smack in the middle, uh, which I think is kind of ironic that it's like a, a central perspective that we need to have for, for looking at the scriptures, everything before it and everything after it, through this lens. Uh, just this central perspective that we can have. and I think God may, might, might have done it on a purpose. I don't know. So, we're in Isaiah 55, and this is, this is a passage, it's Isaiah, I'll sum it up really quick just to give you some context. It's Isaiah, it's this prophetic book written by Isaiah, go figure, and uh, under, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, and most of the time, he's quoting directly what God is speaking to him. Um, well, Most of that, our verses in here this morning are directly from God, which is amazing, <laughs> So Isaiah, his audience, he was writing to the nation of Judah at that time and some of the surrounding nations. Uh, The first 39 chapters, they're filled with judgments for for Judah and all these surrounding nations because they're idolatrous and they're immoral and uh, God's got a message for them. But uh, these last 27 chapters, that's 66 if you're doing math, 27 chapters are, are the message of hope and consultation that he brings and a lot of it, he spends talking about the Messiah that's to come. That's the Messiah that we know as Jesus Christ. And uh, so we find ourselves in this section in Isaiah where Isaiah is describing what the Messiah is going to be like. He, he's just gone through Isaiah 53 where he talks about he's going to be the suffering servant that will take away the sins of the world. He's, he's going to come as a Messiah that we wouldn't really expect. Um, and then Isaiah 55, it begins to explained that the message, the message that the Messiah came to bring was not just for Judah, was not just for Israel, it was for the whole world, for all of the Gentiles. And uh, so this chapter, it, it shows us, it's an invitation to an abundant life by receiving the gift of salvation and turning away from, from our own way of doing things and submitting to his ways instead. So it, it's an invitation to an abundant life that's just the, the chapter heading in my, in my uh, Bible here. So I'm stealing that title. But uh, here's how it starts. And Just for context, I'm, I'm reading out of the New King James Version. It's what I grew up with, and I, I just think the language in this chapter specifically is, is a little bit more powerful in the New King James. Um, so <laughs> there's a funny word that it starts out with where it's a word we don't really use anymore. He says, ho. That just means like, hey, everybody, I need your attention. That's what Isaiah is doing. I need your attention. Everybody, attention. Everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages on what does, what does not satisfy? Listen carefully to me and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. Incline your ear and come to me. Hear, and your soul shall live. And I will make an everlasting covenant with you, the sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation on, that you do not know, and nations who you do not know shall run to you, because of the Lord your God and the Holy One of Israel has glorified you. And then Isaiah takes a pause here and he says, seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. And then God jumps right back in. And he says, and this is, the, this is what where we're gonna focus on this morning. He says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. As the rain comes down from heaven and the snow, it does not return there, but it waters the earth and makes, makes it bring forth and bud that it may give seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So shall my word be that goes forth from my mouth and it shall not return to me void or empty. But it shall accomplish what I please. It shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. For you shall go out with joy and be led out with peace. The mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you. All the trees of the field shall clap their hands. Instead of the thorn shall come up the cypress tree. Instead of the briar, more thorns, shall come up the myrtle tree. And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. Uh, let's pray really quick before we dive right back in. Heavenly Father, just thank you for your word and, and how it speaks to us. and It does not return to us. It does not return to you empty. It's not empty to us either. These aren't just words on a page, God. This is, this is your word. Um, it has power. It has meaning. It has uh, life and fulfillment. We are, we are satisfied when we hear your words, Lord. So may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, Lord. And uh, Just give us your words this morning we can know how to walk in 2024, amen. So how many of you want to go into this new year with joy? How many of you want to walk out of these doors with God in peace? Okay, half of you. So the other half can be depressed and anxious. <laughs> <coughs> then uh, we'll, we'll look into this and, and see this abundant life that God has to offer for us. This is, what we'll see is an invitation to receive a blessing at no price. And then it's another invitation to, to repent, to seek the Lord and to receive his forgiveness. And then we'll look at the reason why, why we need repentance and why we need his forgiveness. And then we'll look at the results of receiving that invitation. So this, I wanted to kind of briefly go through verses one through five. I'm not gonna focus on this too much, but Uh, It begins with this open invitation to the whole world to receive this blessing at no price. He says, hey, everybody who thirsts, come to the waters. Everyone's thirsty. Everyone needs water. We kind of need it to live. And uh, you who have no money, come buy and eat. Yes, come buy wine and milk and without money, without price. Well, how does that make any sense? How can you buy something if you don't have any money? (laughs) Well, It's already been paid for. Jesus is the ultimate fulfillment of this. And we'll see later on when he talks about the sure mercies of David, that's what he's talking about. Jesus is the fulfillment of all of that. Um, Jesus, when he was on the cross, his last breath, you remember what he said? He said, it is finished. And that's really an accounting term that means it's paid in full. So this invitation, your ticket's paid for. So just come. All you have to do is come. And then God asks, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages and what does not satisfy? Listen to me carefully and eat what is good. Let your soul delight itself in abundance. So God is saying that the only thing that's gonna satisfy our souls is his salvation. And all you have to do is just come and receive it. Incline your ear to me and come to me Hear, and your soul shall live and I will make this everlasting covenant with you. The sure mercies of David. Indeed, I have given him as a witness to the people, a leader and a commander for the people. Surely you shall call a nation on which you do not know and a nation who you do not know shall run to you because of the Lord your God, the Holy One of Israel, for he has glorified you. And again, this isn't the whole main part I wanna focus on this morning, but I can can sum it up for you in a couple sentences. God's saying he's inviting everyone, the whole world, to come partake in his salvation. This is the salvation that our souls uh, need, it's a salvation our souls long for, and it will not be satisfied, our soul will not be satisfied until we have this salvation. it can only come from him. We realize that our deepest desire is that salvation. There's nothing in this world that will satisfy, there's no price tag on anything that would satisfy like the Lord's salvation does for our souls. And all we have to do is come. All he's asking is for us to come. But we move on to this passage and we see that Isaiah, he, he takes a little pause into what God is saying and, and he speaks to his audience. He's inviting them to repent. Mm-hmm. This is something we need in, in our culture a little bit more. <clears throat> it's more repentance. But I want you to notice the verbs There's, in these two verses. He says, "'Seek the Lord while he may be found. "'Call upon him while he is near. "'Let the wicked forsake his way "'and the unrighteous man his thoughts "'and let him return to the Lord.'" for he will have mercy on him and to our God, for he will abundantly pardon. Seek the Lord, call on him, forsake your own way and return to the Lord. But notice just the sense of urgency that Isaiah is talking about here. He says, seek him while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Isaiah knows something. He knows (laughs) the end of people who do not call on God. He knows the the end of the story when people do not turn from their ways and, and go to God's ways. And one commentary said this. It says, it isn't that God is hiding. (laughs) It's not that he can't be found now. It's that he can only be found when our hearts are inclined to look for him. And that inclination itself is a gift from God. We must receive the gift and make the most of it while we have it. And not seeking, this is really interesting. It says that not seeking and failing to call upon him while he is near means that we will, will not receive the blessings that he's promised. So Isaiah says, seek the Lord. You already know where to find him. Anytime in the Bible it, it talks about seeking the Lord, it, it's kind of not really saying, yeah, go look for him, but it's, it's saying, make sure that you are found where the Lord is. Make sure that you f- are found where you know the Lord is. Does that make sense? Okay. So call upon him now before it's too late. That's one thing that Isaiah is, is teaching is, is this urgency tomorrow's not promised. Uh, You never know when your next breath is gonna be your last. You never know. And kind of on the flip side, the, the essence of this wickedness and the unrighteousness that he's talking about is failing to seek the Lord. It's failing to call on him at any time, but especially when he's near. So that means that something else is your God. If you're seeking for something else, not seeking the Lord, that means you're seeking other things as your treasure. You're seeking other things rather than God's greatest gift that he's invited you to. It means you're seeking guidance, you're seeking help, you're seeking your value in other things, other people, but not from God. It means that you're calling upon other things as your savior, even if it's yourself. I know a lot of times I get in trouble, Guilty, I'm guilty of relying on myself way too often and calling upon my own strength, my own my own income, my own wealth, my own health, my, my, own, my own strength of my own abilities. But this is Isaiah's way of saying, no, don't trust yourself. Don't trust in man. You gotta trust in God. And Proverbs 3, 5 says, trust in the Lord with all your heart. Do not lean on your own understanding, but instead in all of your ways, submit to him, acknowledge him, and he will direct your paths. So when Isaiah is saying, in verse seven, let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord. Isaiah is calling for repentance. And I think this is the best picture of repentance that we have in the Bible. Um, it's explained very well. It says, let the wicked, that's, that's me, that's you, that's everybody, <laughs> turn from their own way and turn to the Lord. And the best part ab- about this repentance is that it results in forgiveness. When we turn from our own ways and we turn to the Lord, we receive his forgiveness. We receive that free gift that's included in that abundant life uh, that he's invited us to. So in verse seven, let him return to the Lord and he will have mercy on him. And to our God, he will abundantly pardon. This is the best part about this verse. God won't just forgive our sins. He will abundantly pardon. It just shows the magnitude of his mercy and just how different his mercy is and God's salvation is so much more than just a one-time thing. I, my, a friend of mine, Julian, uh, he taught a couple nights ago. He was talking about, uh, talking about the resurrection of Jesus and how we have this hope uh, because of that resurrection and, and what that means for us. And I was reminded that in that message, he said that salvation, it, it begins with justification. That's justification is where we're made right with God after breaking his law except it's just as if we've never sinned. Uh, then we are being saved. It doesn't stop there. We're, we're being saved. This is the process of sanctification that we call it. This is where God is continually saving us from our sin. And thankfully, he's given us his word so that we know how to walk, how to trust in him, and what to obey and how to obey his word. He's also given us the help of the Holy Spirit uh, to help us along that process too. And then finally, we're glorified we're saved at the very end we're glorified where we're in heaven with God with new resurrected bodies for eternity. I don't know about you but I'm I'm ready for that body. I, I can't see, I can't hear, I can't gain weight. I don't know what's going on. I'm ready to get out of here. <laughs> soon and very soon, Lord. Um and honestly, that's that's just scratching the surface of our salvation. It's it, this is what it means to, for God to abundantly pardon is that we would we can look further into the Bible and what, what, what salvation really means and, and we can look at all these deeper theological truths that come from God's abundant salvation, talking about his salvation. There's, there's regeneration. That's where you become born again. There's this legal redemption that you have, this legal right for you to obtain a right legal standing with God, which is a big deal and that has to do with justification. But then there's adoption. You become a part of God's family There's the baptism of the Holy Spirit or the filling of the Holy Spirit. There's the union that you have with Jesus Christ, being united with Christ or united in Christ. He's okay. (laughs) God's salvation is so much more than we realize. And it speaks to just to the magnitude of his mercy and how different he is. It's an abundance. And uh, it's an abundance of mercy because we definitely don't deserve it. (laughs) This is a salvation that's something... It's simply received by accepting God's invitation and turning from our wicked ways. Well, the question you might be asking is, well, why do I have to forsake my way? How come my way's not that bad? I think I'm doing okay. Uh, Or why do I need to forsake my own own thoughts, my own worldview, the way I see things? Well, the answer is they're in verses eight and nine, which these are the verses that changed my life. (laughs) This is where I want us to get this new perspective for the new year. God says this, he says, for my thoughts are not your thoughts, nor are your ways my ways, says the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways, and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. And first of all, we see those two same words that Isaiah was telling us to run away from, our own ways and our own thoughts. Our way of thinking, our own worldview, and um, our way of doing things because we think we're experts on everything. <laughs> God's ways are, are not like those ways. His ways are not like our worldview. His worldview, his perspective on everything is so much different. So when we receive this invitation from the Lord, we, we can't expect to, to behave the same way or to think on our own terms. This is, this is God telling us that we need to replace our ways, our own way of doing things, by imitating his ways and replace our way of thinking with his perspective, with his thoughts. And we're never going to do this perfectly, because we are human. We always will be human. And God is God, and he will always be God. This is the difference between being uncreated and being created. Uh, we're, eternal, we're eternal beings. We have a beginning, and we will always exist. Once we receive this invitation from the Lord... But God has always existed, and he always will. And I have such a hard time wrapping my head around that. That's just the difference. (laughs) And it it stresses the importance, too, of of learning his ways and and the importance of obedience to his ways, obedience to him, paying attention, meditating on his word. And then secondly, from this, we we see just how different God is from us. (laughs) For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my thoughts higher than your thoughts. God's thoughts and his ways are so much different than our ways. We, he had to measure it for us. <laughs> the, words, the word that he uses for heavens is there's three different heavens when you, when you look in the Bible. There's, there's the sky heaven, kind of where the birds fly and there's clouds. Then there's the, the second heaven, what they call is like the stars and the universe and everything above. And then there's the third heaven, which is heaven where, where God's throne is. And where we'll be someday, we'll get to see him. Um, so what he's talking about is, he's talking about this, these stars, this universe, that heaven. And that's how far his ways are from our ways. And I had a hard time thinking about this too, because the closest star that we have is 93 million miles away. And it's called the sun. And even though it's that far away, you ever worked in California on, outside on a hot day it's this little ball of gas burning out there 93 million miles away, but it's still bringing out all that energy, all that heat to us. And that's the closest one we have. And in fact, the, the heavens, the sky, the universe, whatever you wanna call that, it's, it's so far in distance. We, we, can't, we don't have anything long enough to measure from, the, from our earth. We have like miles and kilometers. That's about as far as we go. Uh, so we had to use something called light years to measure. <laughs> it's just... It's, again, it's the difference between being uncreated and being created. That's how different God's ways are from our ways. This is humbling to a whole new level. And I think it's, it's like what Paul talked about in Romans 9, where he compares us and God to we're like these little pieces of clay and God is his potter. And he's, he's forming us and shaping us. And just imagine though, it's like you're, you're a little piece of clay and you have to explain to other pieces of clay what the potter's like. It's, it's crazy silly it's for any of us to think that we're, we're an expert on God, an expert on our own, our own way of, of life and thinking we got it all, all put together. <laughs> so a God so different, our only hope is that he would reveal to us what his way is like, what he is like. And thankfully he has. I mean, if only we had it written down in a book, that'd be great. But when you start, when you start an argument With God or argument against God, you're saying, "Well, I I wouldn't believe in a God who would, who would what, do something you wouldn't do, think something you wouldn't think." Do you ever consider this possibility that this Creator, this God, His sense of justice, His sense of mercy, is just a little bit more developed than yours? And I, I love that His mercy is is so perfect. His love is so perfect. You think that we might be the ones who are flawed? And if you make statements that, you know, you think you know better than God, you're actually putting him and his actions in submission to your own reasoning, your own thoughts, your own way of thinking, your own mindset. And you cannot say things like, well, God wouldn't act a certain way because because I wouldn't act that way. Well, man, you you look in his word, you see some pretty wild things. I, I would never think to do. It gets pretty heavy sometimes. I see things in here that God does I wouldn't think to do and he says things I wouldn't think to say and think things. And it starts with creation where God, he just, all he does is one word out of his mouth and he creates something from nothing to just existence. And then, you know, he took six days and he took a day to rest. I wouldn't think to rest. <laughs> Always go, go, go. But then next you have the Garden of Eden where he gave Adam and Eve this one little command. He said, you know, don't eat with this tree and, and, and they sinned. They fell short of that and so he decided to put a, a curse on the earth. I, I wouldn't think to do that <laughs> to call something sin. I, I wouldn't think to curse the earth and do that. Then you go through the rest of the whole Bible. You go through Exodus. You, there's this one crazy part in Exodus chapter 32 where God is, he's, Israel commits this huge sin, super heinous. They're idolatrous and they're immoral. And so God tells his priest, he says, get a sword, strap it to your side and just start running through the camp, killing as many people as you can. And some of these people are gonna be your family members, your friends, and 3,000 people died that day. I don't, know, I don't know what to think. I'm like, wow, God, why did, why did you do that? Did you just do that? Why would you have that happen? And you look at Job. Like, well, this guy, this guy was one of, maybe if not your best guy, God. And you, you took all his family away from him. You took all his possessions away from him. You gave him this horrible disease. He's in suffering. God, what are you doing? I wouldn't think to do any of that. And there's one that really doesn't make any sense. Probably in the whole Bible. When you're reading through, you get to the cross. You go, whoa. Really, God? All these people for so long who have acted so wickedly against you, including us, you're gonna, you're gonna say that in order for all of this to be forgiven, you just say, I'm gonna have my son take care of it. I'll have him, I'll have him take care of it, his perfect son, his only son, his beloved son. He would humble himself into the form of one of these human beings like we just celebrated Christmas. Very humiliating, by the way, to be born in a a feeding trough. And then these human beings are gonna gonna torture him. They're gonna spit on him. They're gonna reject him. They're gonna nail him to a cross, the the worst form of torture that was ever invented. And you're gonna have him pay for the crimes of all these people and of all of us and everyone else, past, present, and future. I would not have... Thought to do that, would you? (laughs) And then of course, you know, he raises from the dead. First of all, I didn't know you could do that, and and that's just even more wow. (laughs) And he did that. I don't know why he would do that. I wouldn't think to do that. It gets crazy when you you get to the end, (laughs) the book of Revelation. In, In chapter 20, verse 15, he's he or verse 10, he takes one of his own created beings, the devil. Who, who deceived everybody. This is what the verse says. The devil who deceived everyone was cast into the lake of fire and brimstone where the beast and the false prophet are. And they were tormented day and night, forever and ever. I'm like, whoa, tormented forever? Really, God? This is, these are your created beings. And then the same verse in, in Revelation verse 15, 20, verse 15, says anyone's name who was not found in the Lamb's book of life was thrown into that same fire, the same lake of fire. Whoa. You know, I, I don't understand it. I wouldn't think to do any of that. It's very humbling. Uh, it, it, it realizes, you know, Isaiah's urgency here seek him now. Receive this invitation while he may be found. Get rid of your own ways, get rid of your own thoughts, and trade them for his ways. Submit to his ways, submit to his thoughts and his way of doing things, because clearly he knows something that we don't. All that to say, there's, there's a lot in this book, and you, just, you read it and you go, wow, God, I, I wouldn't think to do that, I wouldn't think to say that, I never would have done that, but again, you come across that, and you, and you think, I, maybe he knows something that I don't. Or maybe you say, well, I have my own ability to, to reason, to think through all these things, and I have all these, this great set of morals, you know, so something just must be off about God. <laughs> and to most humans, you know, the gospel really doesn't make any sense. <laughs> it really doesn't. First Corinthians chapter one, Paul opens up his whole letter talking about this. The message of the cross, it's foolishness to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it's written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the intelligent intelligence of the intelligent I will frustrate. That's God speaking. Where is the wise person? Where is the teacher of the law? Where is the philosopher of this age? Has God made foolish, has not God made foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of the world, uh, sorry, for since the wisdom of God in the world, its wisdom does not know him. But God was, God was pleased through the foolishness of what was preached to save those who believe. This is what's interesting, because we, we have this inheritance. It says Jews demand a sign, and Greeks demand wisdom. We, we, we inherit that, by the way. We, we're looking for the same thing, especially in our Western culture. We're like, well, this doesn't make sense, because that's what I think. It doesn't make sense. Everything has to make sense. but <laughs> With God, you know, his ways are so different, it doesn't really make sense to, to us. But when we see things from his perspective, it just makes everything look foolishness. Makes the wisdom of the wise on this world look foolish. (laughs) So the Jews demand a sign and and Greeks look for wisdom. We look for the same things. But we preach Christ crucified, which is a stumbling block to the Jews and foolishness to the Gentiles. But those who God has called, both Jews and Greeks, everybody, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God, for the foolishness of God is wiser than human wisdom and the weakness of God is stronger than human strength. And, you know, I think it's really crucial to realize that we, we need Jesus not only for, as our Savior, we need to recognize him as Lord because clearly he knows something that we don't. And it's up to us to receive that invitation, that free gift of salvation from God, and then to submit to him as Lord. Our lives are, are, are crazy. <laughs> and uh, sometimes we think that he knows things or we know things that he doesn't, but the opposite is true. His ways are not our ways. So would you, you think it would be worth it to turn from our own ways and, and instead listen to him and submit to his ways? You think that'd be worth it? And you think if, if he knows something that we don't, that maybe we should listen to him and hear what he has to say in his word and, and obey it? Well, good, because that's exactly what he promises. His, his word this is what he says about it. He, he writes this beautiful poetry for us, kind of as a little metaphor. God says in verse 10, "For as the rain comes down and snow from heaven, doesn't return there, but it waters the earth. It, it makes it bring forth and bud like we're seeing around now. Everything's getting all green from all that rain we just got. Um, and and it, gives, it gives the farmers a job. It gives seed to the sower and bread to the eater. So it has a purpose. This rain comes down, gives life to everything that's here, and then it, it, it comes in and, and it feeds us. It's beautiful. It gives bread to the eater, and he says, so shall my word be, It goes forth from my mouth, and it will not return to me empty. But it shall accomplish what I please, and it shall prosper in the thing for which I sent it. Now, that's beautiful poetry. I mean, uh, but even more beautiful promise from the Lord. God's word and his promises will come to pass. They will. Everything that he has said would happen has happened. Everything he said will happen is as good as done. We can trust that. That's his word. That's how solid his word is. Uh, this is especially encouraging to me because, you know, if he invites us to this, this blessing, invites us to, to receive his salvation. Invites us to forsake our ways for his ways, then it's done. His salvation is, is sure. His salvation is done. And then we'll look at the results of receiving this. This is what's beautiful. In verse 12, the result of receiving this invitation from the Lord, he says, For you shall go out with joy, and you'll be let out with peace. When the people who receive God's invitation turn to him and listen to him, they listen to his word, then his word does a work in them. And the result is joy and peace. You're being let out in joy, being led out by the Lord in peace. Because when he's leading, it's, there's a lot more peace. When we're leading, doing things our own way, I'm more anxious than ever when that happens. When we see this abundant life that he's, he's offered to us, we realize that his way of doing things is a lot better than our way of doing things. His way of thinking is better than our way of thinking, then the result is gonna be, we're gonna go out of here with joy. We're gonna be led by the Lord in peace. And this is what's interesting. He says, the mountains and the hills shall break forth into singing before you, and the trees of the fields shall clap their hands. And instead of this thorn, there's gonna be this tree that comes up, and instead of this whole bunch of thorns, there's gonna be this, this beautiful tree with flowers and fruit, And it shall be to the Lord for a name, for an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. (laughs) What in the world does that mean? God, what are you saying? Uh, The mountains and hills are singing and the trees are clapping their hands. I didn't know they could do that. But I think this is God's way of saying, when you receive this invitation to this abundant life, when you forsake your ways, you repent of your own ways, your own way of thinking, you submit to his ways, the world's gonna look a lot different. It's almost as if he's given us his perspective of how he sees things. When we take his perspective on, when we realize his ways are a lot better than our ways, we see things almost how he sees things. And when we are going out rejoicing with joy and with peace, it's as if all of creation is singing along with us. It's just This is a beautiful picture of God restoring each one of us. Me and Billy were talking this morning, he was saying, you know, I think kind of the theme that we're gonna have this year is, is talking about uh, being restored in the Lord, and what that really means for each one of us. And um, there's a beautiful picture here. Uh, when God's talking about these thorns, instead of that, there's gonna be this, this beautiful tree that comes up, but strong and full of fruit and full of life. Uh, it's a, a picture of God restoring each one who receives that invitation and repents from their own ways and submits to his ways. Instead of the thorn, which is a curse of sin, a symbol of of the curse of sin, there was a thorn, uh, it's been restored. It's been restored to this tree. And one commentary says on this, it says, when the Lord restores, all the work is done for his name and for his glory. When the Lord restores, the work is secure and it shall be an everlasting sign that shall not be cut off. What an incredible invitation to something so good, even though, you know, there's things we're not going to (laughs) understand, but we can be let out in peace. We can trust the Lord, trust the one who holds all things, the one who knows all things. And maybe, maybe this morning you've, you've got these ways that you're stuck in. Are you stuck in these ways and you you got to, you know, you need to turn from them. Are these, these thought thoughts that you're having, these thought patterns and and ways of thinking, this worldview that you have that maybe you need to repent of and, and, and take his instead? A good sign of that is, is, do you have this joy? Do you have this peace? Because if not, most likely there's, there's something in your life that you need to turn from. There's something that we need to repent of. I think we need more of that, more of him and less of me. And I want to give you all an opportunity this morning. Like if, if there's something that you need to turn away from, a way that you need to turn away from, a thought that you need to turn away from, um, then I want to be able to give that opportunity to you this morning. Uh, Really really sit down and consider this, this this morning and the rest of this day and this this week. And if you don't know the Lord, maybe this is your first time here and, and the first time hearing about this invitation to receive it. You want to receive that invitation for the first time, we want to give you that opportunity this morning too. There's plenty of people here who would love to talk to you. Um, this is a new year. It's a new opportunity for each of us to walk in his ways, repent from our own way of doing things, and our own way, because it gets us in so much trouble. <laughs> when we do things our own way, there, there's, there's no joy, there's no peace, like Billy was talking about last week. I had a great message last week, I think one of his best, to be honest. Um, but this week, as we enter into this new year, we can think of all these ways that we need to surrender our ways for the Lord's ways, and and ask him to reveal, God, what are the thoughts that you want me to have? And replace them with those thoughts. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we thank you for your word and just all that you revealed to us. And I pray that we would, God, turn from our ways and submit to you instead. God, we, we do things our own way and it just, just gets silly. We, we mess things up so much. And we realize that your way of doing things is so much better So God, would you give us um, your thoughts? Would you give us your perspective in this whole new year? Just that we can see things the way uh, that you see them. And we can live and walk in the way you've called us to walk. And we pray all that in Jesus' name, amen.